We're going to close out Paul's letter to the church in Philippians. If you need a Bible, just get your hand up and these guys have one for you. If you have a Bible or your phone or your tablet, you want to make your way to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to finish that out today. Is that me, Jared? Is that an, I didn't, no? Okay. I didn't know what that meant. So if you're there in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to jump right into it. He says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, to help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say, rejoice. And Paul begins this chapter with this encouragement to the church, and that's fitting for kind of where we're at today as a church here in Calvary Chapel Joplin, and to the believers there in Philippi, and to the believers gathered here today. And you guys... If you've been with us any amount of time, you know the drill when you see this word, therefore. You have to ask yourself, well, what's it there for? And the answer to that is found way back in Philippians chapter 3, right there in verse 21. He closes chapter 3 with, for our citizenship, the church and the believers, is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. And it's really a timely reminder for us that those who believe, Christians, if you will, this church, myself, you, are not to be caught up with what this world is doing. We're not to be concerned with the losses that we may face on a personal level. We're not to be concerned with the wins that we face on a personal level. The ups and downs that we will no doubt face in this life, understanding that that God has created you, has created me for eternity. That's the goal. And that confession of Christ ensures us, it guarantees us of that final destination. That's the focus. That's the end game. And we are closer and closer to this awesome day and this prepare. Yeah, like right now. Sorry. You got to hang out for a little bit longer. You know, I've said that for years. I would love to have that happen when I say that. So maybe God will... Like, you really did it, and we're off, whatever we're doing. (laughs) This prepared place, and we get a glimpse of this in Revelation 19. You can write these down if you want and look them up later. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and in the sound of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. 
And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he also says, these are the true sayings of God. I'm not sure what that looks like. I don't know. I mean, none of us know what heaven looks like. I'm not sure if we're just orbs floating around like a giant bubble machine. Maybe just our faces smiling. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure if it's exactly the same as we face now. Your heavenly body, exactly the same. I mean, can you imagine that? But you're just happy with it for once. You know, you don't have any gripes and complaints. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. And I don't really care. (laughs) Paul looks to that day. We should look to that day. And it's a different look here in chapter four for Paul. If you've studied any of his writings, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of picture Paul as this kind of this no nonsense kind of a guy, you know, always sucking all the fun out of the room. You know, we just want to hang out. He's like, no, let's do a devotional. No, let's, let's talk about this, you know, nice and all, but super tense about what God has called him to do, always about the gospel. And here, as he closes four to his church, he shows a different side of himself. It's kind of a departure from that assumption. He calls the church there his his beloved. He reminds them that, that he wants to see them. He longs to see his church there in Philippi. He says they're a joy and a crown to him, not... Not in a weird way, not as, a, not as King Paul, as you would, where he's, you know, inflicting his will across the church and you do what I say, but more of a crown of a man who's accomplished something in this church, planted this church, and now they're flourishing. He loves to be around his people. They had grown in Christ, and they were continuing to grow. And it turns out here, Paul is just a big old softy. You know, one of the kids at VBS was like looking at me and she was like, you're scary. (laughs) Not scary. Am I scary, Keaton? Yeah, yeah. Never poll your student row. But because of that love for his children, the church there in Philippi, the church today that's gathered here, you and I, he tells us, to stand fast, tells us to hold our ground, to persevere, not be flushed out of your position in Christ. Keep our eyes off of what's going on in the world. Yes, be aware of those things. Please don't turn a blind eye to our social things and all the stuff that's happening. Please don't assume that. That's what I'm saying. But not to be caught up in it. To be ready to guard our position in Christ, resting ultimately in that final destination, that hope, that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness. That's where we need to be. And those things cannot be movable. They have to be solid. Listen, as you've grown in Christ, I'm sure, like I have, you have changed your minds about a bunch of things. Scripturally speaking, too, we grow in the Lord and our understanding and our views about Scripture or what the story is or what the Lord wants us to know. Listen, we've all adapted, and from time to time, that's a good thing. It allows us to see things different because the Word is living. We're not where we were X amount of time ago. 
It's all part of our journey as we become sanctified and, and set apart. And you guys know all these words. But it has to say centered in Christ. It has to say centered in his word. Anything that deviates from this written word, you can reject it. It's wrong. It's the first device the enemy used, right? Did you recall that time in the garden when you know, Satan kind of walked up to Eve and said what? You know, did God really say that? I mean, she knows that he said it. And so the devices of the enemy are the same, just a little doubt. Does, does God really mean this? I mean, let's, let's be real. We're so technologically advanced, right? It's 2023. You may have questions, and that's fine. God loves questions. But this book will clear those questions up. Studying this book will allow you to find deep roots and implant you where you can't just be up, uprooted and cast aside. And that's important to note, especially in our modern times, because the world is constantly trying to change your mind about everything, your clothing style, your car choice. And it's trying to change your mind about Christ. It's trying to change your mind about God. They're trying to teach you and me a new thing about God, a new way to look at God, that God is just this, he's a concept, if you will. He's your concept because you need him, but he's just a concept. Like any other spiritual journey, he can be grasped, and and if you need God or if you need another thing, it's fine. It's all the same thing. Or how narrow-minded God really is. Right? He's unable to love unless just very narrow, strict set of rules is followed. And if not, it's just bam, smashed. On the other side of the pendulum, I think it gets maybe even worse that there's a new angle of how open minded God is. And that how God really is not concerned anymore because he's about love, right? He's not concerned with. Your sin. I mean, we're all sinners, and so he has no concerns with that, that you're going to make mistakes, big or small. He's not concerned with the way you speak, the way you dress people. He's not concerned with your lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. In fact, you know, the new thing is God is this gender-fluid being who just morphs around, is available to all without, without, any, without any form. He can be adaptable, even though... The word tells us just the opposite, that he's 100% against these types of things, this type of lifestyle. He's against your sin, and it's laid out clearly. The works of the flesh are evident. They're not hard to figure out. He doesn't care anymore. You just continue after all, we're human beings, right? We're just fighting the good fight. We're not really concerned with the man upstairs. Man, I hate that. It's not the man upstairs. Is that really what he meant when he said this? You know, that was a time when God was riding to an ancient world with no phones, no lights, no motor cars. You finished that in your head. You know you did. He's adapted to our modern world. And really what we need is the truth of the gospel message, the truth of the word. And Paul writes that for us in Galatians verse chapter six. He says, don't be deceived. 
that God is not mocked. And whatever you reap, you will sow. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You will reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you will reap everlasting life. The end game of sin, the end game of disobedience, the end game of rejection of what God has told us as a people, the end game of that will Not may, if God is a just God and a good God and loves this, I'll take my chances. No, it will cost you eternity. In heaven, you'll spend the rest in hell. And that's not designed to scare you, but boy, it does. It does for me. Paul makes sure here in chapter four that we be on the lookout, the church. Remember, this letter's to the church, And he reminds us here that we need to be on the lookout, constantly aware of the fact there's things out there trying to divert you from a solid position in Christ. And he gets right to the chase of how this drifting can start, and he gets right down to the point of the matter he has as he closes this church, or closes this letter to the church. He calls out an issue between these two women, which is a gutsy move to say the least. It says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyk to be of the same mind with the Lord. Now, for whatever reason, these two women were at odds with each other. It could have been this huge theology discussion or the way that, you know, Christ had needed to be compelled to the community. I don't know. I got a feeling, knowing women, that it was probably petty and insignificant. No, hey, hey, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I was seeing if you guys were paying attention. So let me retract. We can edit all that out. A battle over church decorations, you know, no, Listen, please. Yeah. If, if you're totally offended by that, you'll want to see pastor Jeff and I'll get you his phone number after Listen, we're not told what it's about, and that's helpful for us because it really doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what it's about. Paul knows that, that this thing is gonna, it's gonna grow. You know, the, the filters, as we call it, will be applied, and they'll begin to continue this, this spat with each other, and it'll grow them distance, and it will infect the church there in Philippi. The simple answer, it's not a picture of Christ, no matter what it was, and it needs to change. And call, or Paul calls upon this unnamed friend, we don't know who this is, his, his true companion, in other words, one who has his heart with this matter, to help, to help restore these women and get rid of this argument once and for all and move them forward in the church again. And tucked away in this little portion of scripture is this incredible truth that we need to grab hold of. And yes, there are things that need to be adjusted then. There are things that need to be adjusted here in this fellowship. There are things that be adjusted between some of you. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. But they were all still on the same page, right? They were all still Christians. They were all still moving forward. The enemy had got in and just drove a little tiny wedge or dropped a little seed in there. Their eternity is reserved. Isaiah, the prophet, writes this in chapter 43, says, Fear not about those things, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. And sometimes we forget how important it is that God knows our 
name, that he's called us by name. Now, sometimes, like here, our names are called out for correction, right? I know it was all fun and games and everything was moving forward, but if my mom said, Russell Lee, it's over, right? If she had to go through the Russell Lee, I'm like, oh, man, the tears would start to flow. I was a pretty good fake crier, you know, show mercy here. I didn't do anything. I always know I'd cross that line. Our names are connected with our lifestyle. Our names are connected with our reputation, with our our finances. Our names can be used in countless ways. Tell so-and-so that I said to come see you in a business transaction or we want the good deal. Oh, I know a guy, this guy, tell him you know me. That's what our names are good for. And we walk around sometimes thinking that no one knows our name, that no one understands who we are. Listen, the Bible tells us a completely different story. We know that God calls us by name because he called us by name. (laughs) It sounds simple. He knows our name. We know his name. And now, in this relationship, we call each other by different names sometimes. Sometimes we call him Father, Lord. Sometimes he calls us by our nickname, our shortened name, sons, daughters. There's all kinds of terms of endearment that God uses between him and his children. Because we know each other. We speak to each other. Sometimes it's Kim. Sometimes it's my wife. Sometimes it's my bride. It's all the same name because we have a relationship together. So we can speak in all different kinds of terms. He knows your name. After all, he's the one who formed you in the womb. And he's called us by name. And now that belief in his name places our name. And if you caught it, it's a great place to be that book of life. Paul makes sure that we know that there may be issues, there may be struggles, there may be these things that need to be resolved, but your name, because of your belief in the creator God of the universe, has been inserted for eternity in that roll call, in that book of life. I mean, my name's in there, in this sinful state. Your name is in that book. What does that mean for us today? Well, the answer is really kind of simple and obvious when you think about it. Times will get tough. But you're going to heaven, right? Money that you thought you had has vanished overnight. But you're going to heaven. (laughs) The job you thought you had, the position you thought you had, the comforts, both at home and physically, that you thought you would have has vanished and it's gone. But you're going to heaven. That was a week going to heaven. Let's try this again. Sometimes it feels like the world is passing you by, but what? You're going to heaven. And that's why Paul sure knows how to set up a huge head of steam when he writes there in verse four, to rejoice in the Lord in that. And he says it, and again I say, 
Rejoice because why? Because you're going to heaven. Such a, such a brilliant, brilliant concept when you think about it, how settling that is. And because of that, he continues there in verse 5, let your goodness then be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Man, this is almost over. <laughs> the psalmist writes in chapter 39, indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, just just tiny measurements. And my age is as nothing before you because obviously you're eternal. But he says this, certainly every man at his best state, the best you can be, the longest you can live is a vapor. We've almost made it. We're almost there. And I don't understand how that works, but I know that we're almost there. And until that time, we're compelled, we're instructed, we're commanded to abide in the stability that is only found in Christ. And Paul continues there in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. I'm not sure why that scripture is in there because it seems like we're anxious for everything. <laughs> everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, one of the best verses of the Bible, which surpasses all of our understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. No, notice we are to pray. I know you guys are praying. I trust that you're praying. I know I'm praying and Jeff's praying and you're praying. We're supposed to be praying. Not, not in some of the issues, Right? Not in the things that we feel like, well, I can handle this one, but I'm, I'm trying to save kind of the big things for God to do. I mean, it's just picking out a washing machine. You should pray about that. He doesn't want to be involved in some things. He wants to be involved in all things. And we, we, we kind of place this order on those things, don't we? Well, yeah, this is the decision, but, but I got this. When I understand what the word says, it doesn't matter. Pray about it. There's no big things, right? There's no small things according to God. There's just things. And we're to bring all of them. You should know that, that God wants to be in all of them. Think about that as a child. He's always tugging on your mom or your dad's arm. And as a parent, how much... You love those moments when everything can be asked and requested. Yeah, sometimes they bug us, but we still love them. That's what God wants us to be. It's a relationship, and it's tough not to be anxious because this world is a scary place. There are millions and millions of scenarios that can come at us at any given time, but thankfully, the options we have to navigate them are really not that complex. And the answer to that is found solely in the person of Christ. That's why in Matthew 7, he reiterates with his 12, if you hear these sayings of mine and you don't do them, that the winds are going to blow, the rains are going to descend, the floods are going to come, and the house is going to fall. Why? Because it's not founded on anything. It's founded on shifting sand that can be easily manipulated. But if you hear these sayings of mine and you do them, 
The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow, and the house stands because it's founded on the rock. It has a great foundation. Notice here that both sides get the rain, and I don't like that, right? Both sides get the flood, both sides get the wind. It doesn't seem fair. Both sides have to go through the middle of this thing. They have to get their way through it and find themselves on the other side. And only your stability in Christ will offer you that safety and that peace and that protection to weather that storm. I mean, we had a big one the other day. Keep anybody up with those thunderclaps? They were loud. Me and my wife woke up, and there's rain everywhere, and limbs are down, but we don't wake up during the storms. I'm convinced that's why the Lord's going to have to blow a trumpet. (laughs) We just wake up, hey, look, the whole yard's destroyed. We don't know what's going on. The rains are going to come. The floods are going to come. The winds are going to come. To both sides, we need a better foundation. I'm always excited in my life and excited for you guys, excited for Pastor Jeff when, he, when we get to the other side of this thing to take that big exhale, right? Just, wow, I cannot believe that I crossed that sea. <laughs> Remember that time that the Lord parted it and we walked right through it. What an amazing day. You guys are familiar with that old, that, that story of that footprints in the sand, you know, or the guy's walking along and there's like two of them there. And he's like, this is the time I was walking beside you. And he's like, what about this one? There's only one set. He's like, well, that's the time I, I, I carried you when you were, when you were hurting. And then there's two lines in the sand. What about that? He's like, well, that's the time I drug you because you didn't want to go. <laughs> what about this big pile of sand? He goes, oh, that's where I buried you for a while, but I went and got a hot dog. No, but that's one of my favorite new ones. But listen, as long as I'm in the mix of that somewhere, I'm good with it. I just want to be able to look back and go, I have no idea. I'll take both sets of those footprints, 100%. I'll take the solo set if I have to be carried. I'll take the drag marks if I need to be drugged. And if I need to just sit in that hole while the Lord grabs a hot dog, that's what I'm going to do. I just want to know that he is there somewhere and I can navigate through this thing. And that's why Paul says this in, in chapter or verse 8. Finally, he says, brethren, church, believers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me also. These do. And then the peace of God will be with you. And man, we could sure use this type of mindset in the world we live in today. And the world we live in could sure use this type of scenery just to look out and see the world for its goodness and what God has done in his amazing mindset. Spend your time thinking about those things, the things that are blessings in your life. I mean, the hymn was correct. Count them up. Count them one by one. Not always looking for what could be better. It could always be better. Used to play golf with the guy that 
We're not great golfers. I kind of hit a golf ball and go find it somewhere. But no matter what, we always tried to encourage each other. Man, that was a pretty good shot. He was like, well, it couldn't have went in the hole. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it could always, but it was better than you did a while ago. I mean, it, there's people out there, it's never going to be enough. They never look to what God is doing. And that's believers as well. If things are always wrong. Listen, Paul says, don't, don't do that stuff. Meditate on the things that are great in your life. And to live a life of positive in this very negative world turns that light on and you become that city on a hill. You become that light that can't be ignored. You become that candle where the basket can't choke it out. Paul says to keep your eyes on the pure things. Keep your eyes on the pure things. In other words, keep your eyes on the pure things. If it's not pure, don't keep your eyes on it. If it is pure, you guys tracking? Do. Yeah, yeah, we're going to heaven. Let's pray and get out of here. No. Look and listen for that good news. Celebrate in your lives, privately, publicly, socially, digitally. It doesn't matter. Celebrate the things that God has done. Not getting so caught up in this fallen world that it becomes our primary source of information. Listen, I get it. You watch the news too much, it's depressing. Just watch some old cartoons or something and read your Bible, it'll be great. Take a break from all of it. Think about those things that God has called you to do personally and do those things. You have a better grip on the world around us. You have a better grip on the way to run your family, on the way to engage your friend circle. Think on and enjoy those things, and the mind of Christ begins to come into play. And you start to realize that it's really not that difficult. That's why Jesus said that I am the way. There is no other way. There's also the truth and the life. That's it. It's a very single-minded life. Paul begins to wind down there in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, this church was always supporting him financially with goods and things as he kind of did his, his ministry. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, to both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Man, he loves this church. For even in Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. 
And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God the Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul closes this letter with a big thanks to that church there in Philippi for taking care of him, making sure his needs were met. There's a huge part. They were, they sent him things, finances, goods. They were a huge part in his ministry, but he also wanted them to know that even without that care, they were still his joy. He opened it up with that, his crown. Jesus was able to provide for him, and he understands that Jehovah Jireh's hand had been with him from the start, always meeting his needs. The point being, he's not only instructing the church to relax and to focus and rejoice, Paul lived that lifestyle, which is interesting when you think he's writing this letter under house arrest. He can't go where he wants to go. You don't sense that at all through him. He's not, not, he's not afraid of his circumstances. His foundation is firm. There's a lesson in there, and we're learning it as a fellowship. I know I'm learning it personally. We've talked about it a few times in the last couple weeks, that we should be compassionate, right? But empathy, to understand exactly where someone is and feel what they're going through is something that cannot be taught. It has to be learned. And there's a huge difference in that. There's no amount of reading in your devotional time, no amount of service to prepare you when things get crazy. And when they do, he says, man, I've learned. In other words, it's one thing to understand the concept of being hungry, but really have we learned to be hungry? Our stomachs may growl from time to time, but we've been so blessed to grow up in a culture of just if or when, not if, we're going to eat, where we're going to eat. Paul has learned to be content in that fullness. And man, that's a great afternoon, right? Knocking back a nap in that AC right now is the God-given thing that I love about our technology. It's 115 degrees outside, which I love, but there's nothing better than that AC. Big old burrito, a little bit of golf, take a nap. Praise God for that. Heaven may look like that, and I hope it does. But he's learned to thrive also and be content in that hunger. And all of that has just led Paul to a very familiar place. Just look to Christ. That's where he's at. That's where we need to be. Jesus taught these lessons over and over again to his disciples while he walked this earth. In Matthew 8, we, we kind of get that history lesson there. It says, we got into the boat, his disciples followed him. In other words, we're going where you're going, right? Jesus gets in the boat, you get in the boat. And suddenly a great tempest arose. It's a familiar story for you guys. So the boat was covered, it says, with waves. Then you read about the Lord panicking on deck, crying out to God to save him because he'd lost control of the boat, right? No, <laughs> he was asleep. That's a difficult moment for me because if you go downstairs with this boat and the Lord's asleep, they think the same thing we thought. It's like, what are you doing? They wake him up out of a dead sleep. Hey, we're dying here. Like suddenly he forgot. Like I was just taking a nap. He said, eh, 
calmed it. <laughs> you know how dumb you would feel? Like I knew the whole time. I was just getting some stuff ready for the book. They marvel. It's like, man, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey? And they knew about him, but now they know him. They have no questions about him, and it would cost them dearly as they move forward. But they learned about him in a very real and personal way. And yes, if you say the 12, they were goobs. Every one of them, they came from a boat that got calmed and all the, to run away like little schoolgirls when things got rough. They faltered and they failed. But they would also have huge victories. And they have miracles worked in and through their lives. And in each case, in each case, the Lord leveled them back out and placed them where they need to be. Remember, they went on the missions trip. He sent the 70 out. And they came back just ecstatic. He said, man, they were like, the demons are even subject to us right now. Like, we're killing it. We're healing people. We're ejecting demons. And he was like, stop. He's like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in the fact that the demons are subject. Don't rejoice in the fact that you're winning. He says this, rejoice because your names are written where? They're going to heaven. That's what he should have said. Don't rejoice in that. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven. In Luke 10, verse 21, Jesus says this. In that hour, after these 70 came back, he rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed them to babes. Uh, that's you. <laughs> that's us. Praise God that that simple faith, that childlike faith, and we have to rest in these final instructions to stand fast in what God has called us to do, to make amends, make amends when needed, and to know that when those winds and those rains come, just relax, and that peace of God will take its rightful place in your heart, in the mind, in the gray where everything gets messed up, that's where God wants to settle us. The psalmist writes at the end of Psalm 73, and you guys know that, where he was kind of griping, right? That the world doesn't suffer like we suffer. They seem to flourish, and we're over here suffering, and they seem to have this, and they never get sick. And, and then he finishes that verse with that famous, then I went to the house of the Lord, right? And I saw their end. And that's a familiar chapter, but he continues on. He says, my heart was grieved when he realized that. I was vexed in my mind. It was so foolish, the psalmist writes, and arrogant. I was like a beast. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. He says, you hold me by my right hand, and you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there was no one upon earth that I desire besides you. In other words, listen, if we're walking with Christ here, that's the key. If he decides it's over, we're walking with Christ there, right? Why? Because you're going, see, that was weak. You guys should have this down by now. Why? 
I'm going to heaven. It's one of my favorite pictures in the scriptures of God. You know, the right hand of power. You know, it was wielded by kings and it was seen as that. And we, the right hand of God is always used as that, as that symbol of power. But in that verse, we see where God holds us by our right hand. What's that mean? Well, it means you don't have any power. Just stick your hand up and let him kind of guide you through this thing. If you've traveled with your parents on vacation or took long road trips in times past, way before the internet. I don't know about those things. I've just heard about them. But way before the internet, when you actually sleep in the back of an open bed pickup while your dad drove 70 down the interstate. Anybody do that besides me? Yeah. We survived, right? When the package tray in the back of the car was just an extra bed. Sleep in the front seat, sleep everywhere. Your parents buy that travel bingo, which was horrible because who cares? It takes forever. You couldn't help it. You had to know. <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> My dad would resound, shut up. <laughs> we'll just get there when we get there. And man, we need that. Just shut up. And you'll get there when we get there. You know, I, 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 I'm taking you to a better place. I'm taking you to a better place. Paul finishes this book and this chapter with this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So, hey, Paul says, hello. The brethren who are with me greet you. And the saints greet you. And I love this. But especially those who are of Caesar's household. In other words, man, this guy is under house arrest. And these guys are coming to Christ. Because Paul just won't shut up about the gospel. And everyone's getting saved. They're saving everybody up in here. I mean, everyone's just, it's all saving. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so I want to bring whoever's closing. Paul wanted the church to know. And there's a reason these letters are here. I was talking to Jeff Friday about, you know, it'd be cool if you, you know, wrote a letter out or shot a video of just, of what you want the church to know. And what he wanted you to know today was, hey, this is happening. Things are going. We're moving. You know, he's, he's trying to move forward. And I love that kind of timing because Paul just wants us to know that even in his chains, the gospel's moving. And that's all irrelevant to Paul's life. What he wanted the church to know is that it's going to be okay that you're moving forward, as long as you're moving forward in the right center, as long as you're moving forward in Christ. And yes, you can make a mistake or two. That's not what he's saying. But there's grace available. There's grace to us. His mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. And that grace to just understand that it cannot be about us and that God wants to work in your life, in spite of what you may think, in spite of your heart or your mind that may have changed a little bit towards God, his thoughts haven't changed at all toward you. And just like Paul calls the church his beloved and his joy and his crown, that's the way the Lord sees us, like you're, you're a jewel in his crown. 
no longer slaves, right? But now sons and daughters and an inheritance, not to this thing. This thing is passing away. The world is passing away. Your inheritance lies in heaven. Your inheritance lies in the reason that you were created. And if we would just rest in that, man, that reunion is not a fearful time. It's a joyful time. And that peace and that understanding is what we need, especially in the world we live in today. And so let's bow our heads. Listen, it's a simple concept, and, and, and we do well to make sure. What a great time it was last week to watch lives just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that commitment publicly. I want, I, want, I want the church to know. I want the world to know. I want, I want God to know that, man, I'm his. And listen, if you're here today and you need that, that resounding shout of, man, I don't really care anymore. I'm going to heaven. I don't really understand what's going on in the world, but I'm going to heaven. And if you know that you know that you're going to heaven, would you just pray with me for those that may be in this room today who don't know that? And if that's you here today and you need to know that you know that you know that you know that if it all goes south, the rains are coming, listen, the floods are coming. And that's not a scare tactic. That's the reality of the world we live in. But if you need to know this morning that I don't know if I'm going to heaven, and I'd love to shore that up with you this morning, you leave here rejoicing in the work that God has done. And so if that's you, if you need that saving grace of Christ, look, it's real simple. You can just raise your hand. I'll see it. You can put it right back down. You don't have to come up front or anything like that. But now's your moment. If you need Christ to do a work and give you that peace that surpasses your understanding, would you just let us know? Well, listen, church. Maybe it's for you. Maybe you need to be reunited with that joy and that, and that peace. And, and just understanding that, 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 that it's not supposed to be easy. But, but God is good. Heaven is real. And that's where we're headed. And so be encouraged in that today. And Lord, we just pray for the families and the lives that are here today. Pray you would just do a work in, in this fellowship or as we kind of navigate through some of this confusion and this trial or be with, with Pastor Jeff and the family and all the stuff they're dealing with that you would just have your hand on him today and that uh, your grace and peace be known and, and Lord, we just pray for we prayed Thursday night that he would just you drop that mat and run down the road shouting and screaming but Lord if you've got him at this time to to teach a lesson, Lord, we just, we just pray that you would help us to learn those things and to understand those things. And if it's just a season of rain and flood, Lord, that we would just be immovable and we would just stand on that rock. And Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for the season we're in. Pray that you would just guide us today as we go home and teach us to meditate on those things that you've placed before us. And God, we lift all these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.